Welcome to Acquiring Minds, a podcast about buying businesses. My name is Will Smith. Acquiring an existing business is an awesome opportunity for many entrepreneurs. And on this podcast, I talk to the people who do it. My conversation today is with Philippe Vanderhoydonk. Philippe acquired a trade publication in the pets industry. It's called Pets International, and it targets professionals in the pets world. It publishes six magazines, physical magazines, every year. And pre-COVID, it was running two events per year. It is a 30-ish year old business, so it's actually older than Philippe himself. It's, uh, it's a media business, fundamentally, and I love media businesses. I've built media businesses, and I actually want to acquire media businesses. So congratulations, Philippe, on an awesome acquisition. Without further ado, here he is, Philippe Vanderhoydonk. Philippe, thank you for joining me today on Acquiring Minds. You have acquired very recently a trade publication in the pets industry. So it's a B2B media company that has that puts on a couple events a year. It has it publishes a magazine multiple times a year. There's a website. So pretty much a, 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 a tr- traditional trade publication for the pet industry, pet owners and the like. So uh, this is kind of near and dear to my heart. Uh, I, I like media. I've done trade publications myself. Um, so by way of introduction, though, before we get into Pets International specifically, why don't you give us um, a little a little bit of background on yourself? What led you to want to buy, not this particular business, but just in general, what led you down the acquisition path? Yep. So I think early on, I knew that I wanted to own and run my own business. Uh, I think when I was in college, I kind of got sucked into reading TechCrunch all the time and following these like high valuation startups. So I thought that was kind of the path that I was going to go, but I didn't really have an idea. So I didn't really know what to do because I was always more into the B2B side of things and not really the B2C side. So mm-hmm. I thought, let's just get some sales skills. Let's learn how to sell. And then at some point when I'm ready or when I have the right idea, I'll find a co-founder who can actually build a product and I can sell it. And then we'll just set up for success. Right. So mm-hmm. Out of college, I joined Salesforce for a little bit, go to another software company after that. And but I quickly noticed that selling is not really like they like full-time selling is not really my thing. So I mm-hmm. moved to the marketing side, uh, became the marketing guy at, at different startups here in Amsterdam. And at some point then moved over uh, on the agency side, started an agency together with a partner uh, to kind of basically do the same thing, but then for multiple companies at the same time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also, again, kind of maybe a recurring theme. I noticed that that wasn't something I wanted to do for the rest of my life either. Uh, And I've had been thinking or hearing about people buying companies and using that as kind of their path towards running a business. So slowly through my journey with the agency and then trying different side projects that failed. I ended up buying a company just because I felt that was more something that would fit uh, what I like to do. So you had attempted a couple of side projects or, or side hustle little businesses that didn't really work out. 
Yep. So the agency was doing fine, but I, because I didn't want to do it uh, for the rest of my life, I started experimenting with different things, but all mm-hmm. of those things, some were like medium successes uh, for a short uh, run. And then I just kind of gave up on it. So no, nothing really took off from there, basically. Okay. Okay. And just circling back to something you said uh, at the start. So you were always attracted to B2B. I, I find that interesting. I feel like people are usually... Um, we're all consumers naturally. So people are yep. f- first go to B2C. It's rare to hear somebody be attracted to B2B like from day one. Yep. I think I generally don't like hype things or like kind of what's trendy. Like you, like even the way I dress usually is like very like standard. I don't know. Like it's, <laughs> I, I just don't like. Classic. Trend- classic. Yeah, classic. Exactly. Yeah. That was the word I was looking for. <laughs> so I don't really like trendy stuff and B2C things usually are pretty trendy. Uh, not always, of course, but I know I just had a natural inclination towards kind of the stability that B2B brings. And I guess the less trend sense sensitiveness uh, that comes with it. Okay. Okay, great. Um, so you knew you kind of wanted to be an entrepreneur and you started these side businesses and or these side hustle projects and they didn't really go anywhere and you were hearing about acquisition. Um, so tell us then, so you kind of, you make a decision, I guess, to set out on the path of acquisition. How did you like flip the switch to be like, okay, I'm going to buy a business to, and then tell us about, you know, that thought process. And then tell us, tell us what the search process looked like. Yep. Uh, so I guess the idea to buy a business really started maybe even with reading Walker Dybul's book on acquisition entrepreneurship, I think probably four years ago or something, and or maybe three years. And at that point, it kind of always stuck in the back of my mind. So I would look at different listing websites every now and then, uh, even got on a couple of calls uh, over the past few years, even though I wasn't really serious about it. Uh, and then in 2020 for me was really a year where I, where I realized I don't really don't want to do this agency business for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And the side projects that I was running then, I mean, with everything that was happening with COVID, it was all kind of marketing related services. So Mm -hmm. as you can imagine, those were not the type of things that people wanted to invest in with all the uncertainty in the world. So those things just did not do well. And then towards the end of the year, I was like, okay, I've, hustled and grinded it out throughout this whole year and even before that and i'm just not getting anywhere so maybe i just need to try something completely different and then i think in november i just said okay fuck it every fuck it i'm just gonna (laughs) go literally all in i'm gonna work myself out of the agency just let that uh or hand that back to my partner who who can then run uh, it by himself i'm gonna stop with all these side projects i'm gonna literally full-time go into the search let me just, we don't have to uh, get into each side project, but were you with these side projects, were you trying to create something entirely new or were they, you know, products or services that already existed um, in the marketplace and you were just introducing, you know, your, your version of them? Yeah, it was nothing new. It was kind of like one was, for example, a, a marketing service where I would help uh, mainly staffing and recruitment agencies uh, do video uh, content. So we would get on a call together, I would help them record the videos, and my team would then edit it and etc. So okay. 
I also started very briefly alongside that uh, a case study video business because it was kind of the same process and everything. Um, so those are, I guess, two examples, but definitely yeah. not something new, just my own spin or kind of my own f- specific focus on a different industry to kind of try to make it happen, basically. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. So you um, are frustrated by the these side projects and by being in an agency, running an agency, um, and you decide to search. So you're, um, by the way, just for the audience, the book that you reference, Walker Dibble's uh, book is called Buy Then Build. And it's kind of, yes, it's, exactly. it's emerged as kind of the part of the acquisition Canon. It's really it just walks you through it. It's great. I've read it as well. One of the thing he one of the things he talks about in there um, when you start the acquisition down the acquisition path is to really be a serious buyer to be taken seriously by people that you approach, um, and part of that is is defining your criteria very clearly, like you know what revenue, what size business you're looking for, um, what you can afford, what your financing is going to be like. So what were your, what was, what were kind of those parameters for you broadly? Um, and, and what were your target criteria in an acquisition, uh, in an acquisition? Yep. Uh, I think I just followed Walker's process like step-by-step in terms of what I was looking for. I think having run an agency remotely for the past four years, I definitely wanted something where I didn't have to go to an office somewhere in a specific location uh, to deal with a team there. So I think being remote was something very important to me. Uh, Obviously, it had to be in the right uh, seller discretionary earnings uh, range. Otherwise, I mean, you cannot (laughs) afford a business, so it needs to Mm -hmm. make sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I kind of stuck at the beginning, especially to what I knew, I knew software businesses because that's what I've kind of worked with uh, my whole professional career and then service businesses because I've run service businesses. So that's kind of what I naturally gravitated towards when I was doing the search. Okay. Okay. Now, but would you consider Pets International what you acquired to fit under those, that umbrella or would you, or is that slightly different? No, you know, okay. that's, that's and it's not extremely different, but it's definitely different. I never imagined buying a media company. Like it was not something that I had on my mind. I think I just came across the opportunity on a Dutch listing website here locally. Um, and it just felt like a good fit for my profile. And I think that's also referring back to Walker Dibel's book, kind of what he says of make a profile of the type of business that you want and look at where you can add value to the business. And I think with uh, this business in particular, it has, it's basically the business older than I am. Like it's 30, <laughs> 33 years old or something like behind me, you see like this is the first magazine they had. I think the publication yeah. was October, 1989, like two months before I was born. So <laughs> it was just having that kind of strong brand and proof that it has existed for so long. I mean, sure. it's likely going to exist for uh, a lot longer after this. Uh, but it has originally always been that, like events and magazines, print magazines. So it's, for me, kind of the challenge of how do we take this to online and how do we bring this into the future? I think with my background of marketing and online marketing and even content, I think that's where I saw the good fit. And that's why... In hindsight, I think I should have probably also looked at media businesses, but I just didn't really think of that as an option. But if you 
kind of correlated to what are you actually good at and what can you bring to the table? I think things might make sense that you not might not think of uh, right when you start to search. Sure. So um, it sounds like this is a case of a business so often in acquisition entrepreneurship where the the seller has a business that has uh, real history and revenue and it's a very strong foundation, but isn't very tech forward. Um, so it sounds like the owner here hadn't, there was a website and I assume there's a mailing list, but, but she hadn't done, she hadn't really embraced the web. Am I, t- 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 tell us, tell, yeah. tell us more about that. Like what, what, what did you see was missing from the digital aspect, the potential of this business that you could bring to the table? Yeah, I think she, it's not that they didn't do anything at all uh, to bring the company more on the online front. I think they've did some good steps already. They have kind of have all the foundational pieces in place, but I think it's just taking more advantage of that and just expanding on that Mm -hmm. is like making more use of the email list, making uh, maybe developing some different uh, products on on the online front to uh, offer to clients. Those type of things, I think, although there has been a good, I guess, step-by-step progress on that front in the past couple of years, I just think someone with fresh eyes uh, with the right background like me can just come in and accelerate that process uh, a lot faster. Sure, sure. And I, I suspect it's kind of like you're digitally native. I mean, the way you think is kind of like online first. And this yep. seller was probably, oh, certainly if she launched in 1989, was not. So it was probably never as natural as like a physical magazine to her. No, exactly. I think the, the magazines have just been such a a strong part of the business that if that is always the core of the business, uh, it's not that I guess she had no clue of what to do. It's just, if you're more digitally native, then I guess things go a little bit faster and you just see different things. And I think just generally with any business, if you've been in it for 30 years, I mean, you kind of get into a flow and a system of how you do things and that's kind of it. And this, yeah, that's just the way it goes. I think. So um, tell us about the, tell us about the owner, um, how big the business was, was it just her or does she have staff? And then also tell us about the specific assets. So we keep referring to these, to these events and, and um, public and the magazine, but give us specifics on all of that. Yep. So uh, I think at some point it was her uh, and then her husband and probably five employees at kind of like the height, I think. Uh, okay. But then they started digitizing things a lot more. So some t- like before they would have people just kind of do stuff manually for the magazine, for example. And now they start. So a combination of making stuff more digital, like uh, making the processes a lot more digital and outsourcing certain things so that you don't have to have a full-time, for example, a full-time designer on staff. You just have someone for whenever you need it. Those type of things allowed them to scale down the staff. So it was at the end, just her and her husband that were full-time uh employees basically uh the rest were uh freelancers like a core team of freelancers that we mm-hmm. still work with today and but they're not on the payroll um and so the main products that we have right now are obviously the magazine uh which comes out six times a year we mm-hmm. have two events one in europe and one in asia um and those are kind of the key 
products, let's say. And then on the online front, we have some advertising options there too with a newsletter and on the website uh, with our news section, et cetera. But those two things, I guess, would be the main uh, drivers of the business. The the magazine and the, the event. Yep. And in terms of like revenue split, because at least in my experience with trade publication, like sometimes, um, or I should say often really, the event or events is really where all the revenue comes from. And the publication might sell some advertising, but it's actually a, a, a considerably small, smaller amount of the revenue. And it's really all about driving sponsors and ticket sales to the to the annual or biannual event. Is that the same here or is it is it more uh, no. evenly split? Here it's probably the, not necessarily the reverse, but I think probably around 30% of revenue would be the event and the rest yeah. would be uh, either, I think around maybe 10% or 15 or something like that will be online. And then all the, like, what is that? 55 to 60% would be uh, at the magazine. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. Um, well, that's, probably a little bit better because these, the businesses that I'm referring to, there was just so much pressure all year long to make sure the event was a success because yep. so much of the revenue came from that. So you uh, essentially acquired an owner operated business. Um, now you said she outsourced a lot. Was she, I assume she was outsourcing the, the event production or was she the, the project manager for the events as well? Uh, she was a project manager for the events, but the like with the events, it's important to, to keep in mind that it was two events per year, one in Asia, one in Europe, and they were pretty small scale. Like, for example, in Asia, we had a partner, a local partner there. So the organization uh, on our front wasn't that uh, much or we were not that much involved with it. Um, here locally in Europe, um, we have partners that we work with to help us with that, but it's an event with, let's say 250 people for two days or three days and that's mm-hmm. it. So it's, it's not like a massive trade show with thousands of people coming by. It's pretty small scale aimed at executives. So it's, I guess, less of an organizational hassle than these bigger trade shows, uh, that sure. you would have with other, uh, companies. Sure. Well, speaking of that, we all know that the pets industry is just enormous and in the last generation has just, it's just people always point to it as like the industry that's just exploded, at least in the US, I assume around the world. Yep. So how did you get comfort? She she sounds like, I assume she's um, a relatively smaller player. Pets International is a relatively smaller player and there probably is some massive annual trade show, if not more than one. Correct? I'm I'm speculating here. No, no, for sure. For sure. So how did you get comfortable that, um, you know, you could continue to be relevant or compete against these giant leaders and in, in the competitors in the space? Yeah, I think the format of our event is just 200 executives in a room. It's kind of mainly about networking and it's the trade show. Like there are some kind of booths there, but that kind of doesn't matter. People really want to come to um meet with different uh owners from different places around the world just to learn different things and from the feedback that i've seen about the event is just something that everyone's kind of dying to go to it always sells out and it's a very different format than all the other trade shows uh, because those are actually trade shows with a lot of boots and things like that and this is more like a networking event almost Mm -hmm. uh so from that perspective, I think it's just a very different concept where I felt very comfortable that this would be relevant for the foreseeable future. Mm -hmm. Cool. And do you see opportunity in doing more events? 
Or different events or growing the existing events or something? I mean, we're talking so much about digital, but what about the potential for the event, events piece of the business? I think there's definitely some potential there. I think instinctively or at the beginning, especially, I wasn't necessarily like sold on, I want to make this like an events first business because that's just not where my interests lie, let's say. Yeah. So that's why I guess I naturally gravitate towards the other side of the business more uh, orig- uh, as a first step now, but I definitely think uh, somewhere, whether that's within the next year or the year after that, I will definitely get someone on board to, to see how we can explore the event side of the business further because I definitely think there's a lot more opportunity there as well. Okay, okay. And the owner, you had mentioned to me previously that she had had interest from buyers before, but never, they weren't the right fit, she felt. You were, why? I think because she saw the same thing that I saw with this business, that it just needs someone to take it further on the online front. And with the if you have a marketing background and you've, if you are more digitally native, then it just makes a lot of sense to work on this business because uh, you have the right skill set to bring it forward. And I think that's what she saw in me as a buyer as well. Um, Cause we kind of shared the same ideas of where the business needed to go and what is required for that. So I think it was kind of a natural fit that way. Okay. Um, you know, it, it it's interesting because you didn't have media experience strictly but what's, what's, what's happened of course in the last 15 years is that digital marketing in media have really blended because content marketing, um, you know, is a kind of marketing and, and yep. media is kind of content. I mean, the, the line is very blurry there. So yep. to the extent that somebody has content marketing experience, in some sense, they do have media experience. Yep. Had, had, had you done content marketing? Yep. That was yep. always part of our strategy. Uh, I never really did the writing as much, but I was, yeah, that was definitely like a core piece of uh, the strategy that we would advise and work with uh, for the clients in our agency. Yeah, sure. Okay, cool. Now, um, did you have any interest in the topic in pets or the pet industry? Yeah, I mean, I I like pets. I've always had pets growing <laughs> up. I think I, who doesn't like pets? I guess. Right, right. <laughs> um, I other than that, I mean, I've never done anything in the pet industry. But I think it's just such a happy, easygoing industry that everyone who, if you, unless you really hate pets, I think you can just kind of find your way in. <laughs> unless you hate animals. Yeah. <laughs> My wife's sister is actually in the industry in Chile. She she operates a chain of pet. She owns and operates a chain oh, yeah. of pet uh, a pet stores. So, yeah, I think um, every I time I about. like speak speak to someone new in the industry and they're like they hear that I'm not originally from the industry, they're always like, "Okay, just prepare yourself for now a lifelong uh, journey into the pet industry. You're probably not going to get out anymore, so just enjoy it." Oh, that's cool. That's a a great thing to hear people say. I I doubt people who buy plumbing businesses hear the same thing. (laughs) Probably not. No. (laughs) Well, let's get into uh, the the deal itself as much as as you can talk about. So um, if you can kind of give us a sense of how big this business was financially um, and, you know, margins and then then the deal itself, like the the multiple and, and whatever you can share, I'm sure would be really interesting to the audience. Yep. So with respect to the owner, I don't want to kind of dive into 
too specific of details, but uh, so the business is, let's say, low seven figures uh, in revenue, um, margins, let's say, between 20 and 35%, somewhere around that. Um, so, yeah, I acquired the business for low seven figures as well uh, and kind of structured it in a way that which was actually good with COVID, I structured it in a way where I paid, let's say 60% uh, of the deal upfront. And mm -hmm. then with different milestones, uh, the rest will be paid over time, basically. Great. And, and so did she, um, so, so that the, the remaining 40%, was that a, sell, a, a seller note? Was she basically, yep. yeah, seller financing and the 60% that, of equity that you provided, did you did you take a loan um, yep. to to provide some of that? Was that yep, like a no, government sure. loan? Uh, no, no. Over here in the Netherlands, it's a little bit less easy to get loans uh, for acquiring businesses than it is in the US, unfortunately. So I tried different banks, government. I mean, forget about it. Uh, so eventually, I had to kind of knock on doors of like family fa mm -hmm. friends of family acquaintances stuff like that to kind of find the right partners uh to do this with uh, but yeah other than that it, it like financing here is a little bit tricky for sure mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah you in the acquisition space in the u.s the small business acquisition space of course you hear about the sba loan constantly yep. um and i always wonder if other countries offer something like that it seems like such a phenomenal um thing to take advantage of here in the US and I don't, I don't know sure. if we're if you know we're unique that way or it sounds like at least we are compared to the Netherlands that it's yep, not exactly yeah. something like that cool um so you said you you acquired it for low seven figures as well can you share what multiple of profit what multiple of ebitda yeah. that was yeah it was around 30 percent uh like a 30 a 3x multiple or somewhere around that Okay. Okay. Great. Cool. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so you talked a little bit about um, that you talked to some people in the industry, I guess, pre-acquisition, but can you, can you go into the due diligence a little bit more? Yep. Uh, so the deal actually went super fast. So I spoke to the previous owner to, for the first time in I think right before Christmas or just after Christmas and before New Year's. And on March 1st, we closed the deal. Um, so the process was actually like I got on a call with her. Uh, we kind of hit it off. And then there was a broker involved as well on her side. Um, but then it kind of quickly came to, okay, what I was prepared to offer for it, what they wanted, like kind of a back and forth for maybe three or four weeks or something like that. And then it was kind of off to the races to could just get the diligence done as fast as possible. So at that point I didn't, cause I like, I was started really looking for businesses, let's say at the end of November and had like a short list. Okay. These are the five lawyers I'm going to reach out to. And these are the four accountants that I'm going to reach out to. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh yeah, we need to close this deal as fast as possible. And then mm -hmm. you start calling everyone trying to find people who are available right away because that's pretty rare. Um, so it's kind of, a stressful time finding someone fast uh, and eventually did. And then I had a team of accountants, uh, two lawyers kind of involved and they did their thing. 
And yeah, I think in about six weeks or something, everything was kind of finalized. And then we just had to wait a couple more weeks to really fully close the deal with the notary on March 1st. And all these accountants and lawyers, so do you feel that you you didn't sequence it correctly? Like, do you feel like you should have reached out to them before you even had a deal? Or did you just have to do it this way where they would really only be interested in talking to you if there was actually a deal in your hands? No, I think I, I had spoken to maybe one or two lawyers uh, or accountants before uh, I really started going into this deal. But I think finalizing your choice of, okay, this is the accountant I'm going to work with and this is the lawyer that I'm going to work with definitely for next acquisition is definitely something I'm going to do because it just saves you a lot of time and kind of headache for finding someone at the last minute. Yeah, sure. Okay. And then going back to just the the due diligence. So, did you um, like talk to sponsors? Did you did you try to talk to people, existing clients of hers, or and, and no, okay, no, go ahead. No, I didn't speak to any clients. I think she was very. It was cl- very clear that she was very open about everything. Uh, mm-hmm. So she had provided us with a lot of material to go over all the contracts that she had, everything basically she had uh, lined up. And then whenever there was a question, she was very transparent in her answers. So I quickly got the feeling that everything that she was saying was accurate. And Mm -hmm. I didn't really feel the need to speak to any clients because also there was not really any client risk. Like there was not one or two clients that represented most of the the revenue. So I was like, okay, it doesn't really matter to to speak to anyone or not because it's not going to make a material difference. Uh, So from that perspective, I just... I think she was very well prepared with everything that uh, with all the materials that she provided us that it was kind of smooth because there, it was kind of clear there were no uh, hidden things. Everything was just very transparent. So that made thing, uh, the process a lot easier. Mm-hmm. And on the financials of the business, you had said that the margins are range 20 to 30 percent. So she that that is after she pays herself. Yep. And so she was paying herself a fair industry salary. So yep. oftentimes, obviously, in, in deals like this, you'll see that the, the owner is underpaying themselves to over-report their profit, right? Okay. No, that's also something that, like, I know when I looked at the books and I showed it to the accountant, he was very clear, like, okay, this, everything adds up. It's very fair. Like, they're not trying to hide anything or try to play around with the books to make it seem better than it actually is. So that also gave me kind of reassurance to not only go through it pretty fast, but also just wanted to go through with it at all, right? Because you're making a big decision. So that was important for me that she, or I guess that was lucky for me that she was being fair that way and being very transparent because I can imagine you can also come across, yeah, different scenarios. Well, certainly, the frustration that people feel when they're trying to acquire businesses is, is exactly that. Like they, uh, they don't feel that the necessary, the seller is being completely hundred percent transparent or honest, or that the business wasn't run super tight, that the, the numbers aren't super tight, um, that it's not organized. I mean, it sounds like you really acquired a quality business, uh, which is, which is of course what we all want. Um, and, it, <laughs> yep. and is actually much rarer, rarer than, than one might think. Yep. No, I I looked at some other businesses as well, where if I would just look at not even like the full financial data, but just 
uh, whatever the broker gives you. And sometimes you can already spot some things where you're like, okay, that doesn't really make sense. Or people exaggerate some growth rates or something like that, but all by only showing you certain things. So yeah, it's, it's very, you have to be kind of lucky to see or uh, to find a good deal where not only the business is good, but also the owner is kind of has the right mindset and transparency that they really want to help you through the process. And I think maybe also because this business has been yeah, running for 30 years, she's been involved for that long. It's different than if you want to sell like maybe an e-commerce store that's been uh, up in the market for nine months and you want to flip it. I guess the mentality of the seller w- might be different at that point. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so the 30-year history, how many how many years of history did you need to see? Did you do just the standard like last three years or did she give you yep. even more than that? Three no, years? last three years, yeah. And you looked at a lot of a lot of deals. Did any of the other deals that you look at come close to this one in terms of um, how far along you went and how badly you wanted the business and how quality the business was? Uh, there was one software company uh, that I felt would go a long way as well. It was kind of at the, like we started speaking at the same time that I spoke with the, the owner of the business that I ended up acquiring. And he was uh, the the owner of the software business was a little bit kind of slower in this process. He was just kind of getting started in uh, his journey of selling it. So I think it it was a good business and it might have ended up being the business that I would have acquired as well. But it's just kind of a timing question where if he would have been faster or he would have been or I would have met him earlier, maybe things would have turned out differently. But yeah, I think that was the only other deal that I looked at where I really had some feeling of, okay, this might be something. Well, it sounds like because she'd been approached before and not with by buyers that she didn't ultimately want to sell to. She maybe had gone through some of the process, the process before. So she was super organized maybe already. Yep, exactly. Exactly. And she had a broker to like, she was also actively selling uh, at that point. So she had everything prepped, like all the financials were prepped, all the kind of supporting documents that you would want to look at during the diligence she already had uh, prepped. So that made things a lot, a lot easier. Yeah. Cool. Okay, so one of the characteristics of this business is that it is owner-operated. So uh, while it, it seems like it had um, that it's a great business, you clearly are going to be the guy to hold everything together on day one. That seems like um, some risk uh, and, and a challenge. So kind of talk us through your thought, thought process there, both kind of getting your arms around the business and then what you foresee in the future. Yep. I think for most of the businesses that I looked at, um, there were people involved doing the operations or most of the operations. And with this business, it was, I mean, there are people involved doing the operations as well, but the owner was clearly leading the way. So I think that's maybe also something I kind of saw as a challenge of if I'm going to be the one stepping into the business and taking it from what it was and leading it into the future and taking it more on the online front, I might as well also just do all the other things that she's doing right now. It's not really a big deal because I can step in. If I will step in to do those things, all the other things will follow naturally. So mm-hmm. I think for me, it was a natural challenge of, okay, I want to 
take this strong company that has been built on magazines and in kind of the offline world and take it on the online front and at the same time find a way to make it less owner dependent and work myself out of the business in the process so I get kind of two challenges in one basically. Mm-hmm. So here we are on May 19th, you acquired it on March 1st. So you've spent the last two and a half months really up to your eyeballs in this business, learning everything about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, how do you how do you see hiring somebody to being able to step out and hiring somebody to run the business? Do you think it's you'll be able to find that person relatively easily? Um, what, how does it how does it align with what your expectations were before you got into the business? Yeah, I think realistically finding the one person who is just going to magically take over and run with everything, I think that's probably, I mean, there are people like that, but those people will probably want to do the same thing and own their own business and run their own thing. So I think I will have to find a way of how, what's the logical split between the different responsibilities and what can I, maybe two or three people I can hire to run different parts of the the business that can each focus on their side, grow that part of the business. And then as a whole, the business would come out a lot better uh, even uh, than it is right now. Mm-hmm. Although it's you're still going to need a a president or you know the the final person who oversees all those people. Do you foresee that always being you, or do you think you would eventually need to find that person and, and also hire that out? I think it. Right now, I don't know what that will look like. It will. It's definitely possible that it will be some somebody else. Uh, my aspirations are definitely to have multiple businesses at some point. So at that point, I wouldn't be able to do it for this or run the, the whole thing for this business uh, anymore. So I think naturally we'll get to that point. But I guess right now is <laughs> not something that I'm actively thinking about just being so head uh, like deep into the business that I'm just kind of taking a step by step. And then maybe yeah. a year or two years from now, we'll see how things kind of evolve. Of course. Sure. So how have these two and a half months been? Did you uncover anything in the business now that you're the owner that surprised you or, or was bad news? Were there ch- unforeseen challenges? Like what, how, how you feeling? I'm feeling good. There actually no kind of hidden bodies or anything like that. Like <laughs> everything was, I don't know, lined up with my expectations. Everything is going well. Obviously, it is a lot of work, uh, but I think this with any acquisition, just the first whatever number of months, really getting into it, understanding everything, especially if you're new to the industry and new, like new to the media business, new to the pet industry. Those are kind of two things you need to combine. And that will always take a little bit of time to get the hang of. But I think slowly but steadily, we're just getting there. And I'm slowly also finding more time or breathing room to focus on the big picture and looking at, okay, what are the things we can tackle next? And what what can we focus on to improve the business that uh, as I had it in mind, basically. And so your do you feel that your rough hypothesis around your skills and how you'd be able to apply your skills to this business is now proven? I mean, it's still probably early, but do you feel like the opportunities that you saw to apply your skill set were accurate? Yep. I think what I had in mind or what I envisioned seems to line up uh whether my skills that actually proves to be the right one to to make it successful has yet to be uh, determined but at least from what i'm seeing now and what i'm doing right now it seems that uh everything is the way that i thought it was going to be okay cool well that's that's 
that's good to be feeling that way. So can you give us um, two or three examples of what you'll do? Like what, what, what are your big picture items to take the business forward? Yep. Uh, one thing is that I'm doing is working on a redesign of the website to really kind of make it ready for that online transition. Um, that's, I think, one of the bigger parts. Uh, then on the email front, kind of playing around there with uh, a different email template setup, kind of those, I guess, fundamental things to really give customers a good idea of, okay, this is what you're offering. This is what it looks like. Uh, and then from there, kind of building different online uh, advertising products, basically, to offer uh, to our clients uh, so that they don't, so that they, not only that they're just restrained to the print uh, version of the magazine, but to just have a whole scope of ways to promote themselves to their target audience, basically. Okay. So you're going to introduce new products, new online products. Yep, that's something that I'm thinking about kind of what to do first. But I think, yeah, I, I'm not thinking about it super intensely right now yet. Just want to get those first building blocks out, like a new, like a small uh, redesign of the website uh, and those things to then really focus on what do these new products actually look like. Sure. Okay. Great. Now... Do you think you had mentioned that you want to acquire other businesses? I mean, this acquisition entrepreneurship you see could be a path for you. Um, do you think that when you got into this business, when you decided to acquire this business, was that the larger vision for yourself? Or only once you made this acquisition and got some confidence, did you determine that, hey, this is something that I could see doing as a career? No, I think as soon as I heard about uh, buying companies for a living was actually a thing. Uh, I envisioned running multiple or at least owning multiple businesses and being involved with them in some way. I guess maybe from my agency, my history with running an agency and working on different clients, I've always liked kind of these different working on different challenges at the same time and looking at different businesses at the same time. So I think from that perspective, I always had in mind, if I start buying a company, that that is kind of a path that I will continue on and eventually own multiple businesses. And do you think, I, this is probably early for you to answer, but do you think that your second acquisition would you'd want it to be a similar company, like a, like a B2B media company or not necessarily? It could be, could be anything. I think it might make sense, um, but yeah, I don't know. I, yeah. I, from what I've learned from the first process is that you kind of don't know what you end up with. So I think yeah. it would make sense to uh, get another media business uh, to add onto the portfolio. But I mean, yeah, you never know. You know, it's it, it, one of the things that I find interesting about this space is that acquiring a business is kind of positioned as something that's less risky. Uh, than starting your own. But in, in some ways, I, I feel that it's actually quite a bit more risky because you're taking on often for you're taking on a loan, which is different yep. than offering somebody equity because you actually have to pay a loan back. Yep. Uh, and so you now you have this financial burden and you you own you run this business and you've got clients and, and a history and a brand and a legacy to to take care of. How do you feel? Do you feel that what you did was um 
risky or, or do you feel like it was a pretty secure option compared to just starting something from scratch? Well, I think the starting from scratch, I don't know if that's necessarily super risky. I mean, you're losing time, uh, mainly maybe, but I think for me, I just noticed that starting from zero to one is just not my thing. I think I'm just more of a one to whatever, uh, type of person. And I've never felt like this is super risky, like, oh my God, what is going to happen? Of course, I think there have been moments where you think about, okay, I have to pay back these loans. And then you kind of start picturing the worst case scenario in like the (laughs) middle of the night. But that really doesn't happen often, I think, at all. Uh, So as long as you feel comfortable with the business that you're buying, I think it should be okay. But yeah, if you're buying a business, I think you definitely should be comfortable with the responsibilities you're taking on like debt. Because, I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, you don't know really what business you are buying. So you really need to be comfortable enough with the idea of, okay, I have to rely on this business to pay back all of my responsibilities. And as long as you're okay with that, I think it's fine. But yeah, I for me, it's not really risky, I, I guess. Okay. Okay. Well, and just to, just to, to paint a picture of where you are now, you acquire, and I'll spell it out, then you correct me if I'm wrong, but you did the, um, the classic thing that's kind of outlined in, in buy, then build, the buy, then build book. You acquired a business, the business was paying the owner a salary. So you immediately walked into a salary. And then there was this 20 to 30% margin that was a cushion. So out of some of that 20 and 30%, of course, you're having to pay debt service, which she was not. Um, but presumably, you still you have even, you know, considerably more cushion than that, with which you can then grow the business and, and try your experiments and, and build the new products and find the new contractors, redesign the website, redesign the emails. Um, is that about right? So you walk into a business salary on day one, ability to pay debt service right out of the business. And then a little bit of, or I don't know if it's a little bit, but even then more resources to realize your vision. Yep. No, that's, that's definitely true. I think also as kind of the debt becomes smaller and smaller, as we hit different milestones, I think just more and more breathing room will, uh, will give so that I have more resources to either invest or just kind of save for the next acquisition. But yeah, that's definitely a good picture. Cool. Cool. Well, is there anything that I didn't ask Philippe that you think the audience would benefit from about your story? Um, no, I think if there's one thing that I, cause I speak to, I've spoken to a lot of people who are kind of on the same path of looking for companies to buy and everyone or most of the people that I've spoken to have this idea in mind of, I want this specific type of business. Like I want an e-commerce business or I want uh, whatever type of business. And especially what my story, at least for me illustrates is, and it's not really about the specific type of business, but more like the skill set that you bring into it. And I think if, people who are looking are a little bit more flexible or maybe creative around thinking where they could actually bring value. And admittedly, I didn't do that myself, right? I just looked at software service. That's those were the two things that I was good at, but looking back and not even having like not having bought any of those two types of businesses, it's just kind of clear that going forward, I think that's definitely something to take in mind of what can you bring uh, value to, uh, even if that's 
outside of your regular comfort zone, let's say. Well, it, it kind of touches on what we were talking about earlier, where it's really quite hard to find a quality business. You, you know, you hear all these stats about all these people retiring and there's, you know, hundreds of thousands of business coming businesses coming up for sale. But actually, a very small minority of those businesses are businesses that you'd want to own. So finding, finding a, a good quality business is tricky. And so yeah. if you're really narrow in the type of business it, 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 that you want, it, it's going to become that much harder. So if you can be a little bit more open-minded to, to, the, to the possibilities, you're more likely to find a deal that works for you quicker. For sure. I think at some point I was looking at a sewage cleaning business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, I mean, it sounds like an amazing <laughs> idea. It's super profitable, but it's, I mean, it's not the most glamorous business, which I kind of like <laughs> as well. But yeah. then I just imagined going to the office every day and I don't know, walking into a sewage environment every single day. I was like, okay, yeah, I don't have anything (laughs) against it, but maybe not for me. So I think just really finding something that fits your specific interest and skill set is just a process to find it, I guess. And there's no, like, there's a reason why people always say, give it like a year or two years to actually find something because it is hard to find uh, something that really matches your criteria. I think for me, I was lucky in being able to find it that fast or as fast yeah. as I did. Yeah. Uh, but you just really need to be prepared to go into it for at least six, 10, 12, maybe even two years. I've spoken to people who've looking, been looking for three years and not finding anything that really fits their very specific criteria. But yeah. You just have to be patient, I guess. Well, you have you have different tiers, and and you know you have people who are doing you know like a, the search fund route where they're they're looking to spend quite a bit more and buy a, a much larger company. So that in that case, the risk is a lot higher. And mm-hmm. I imagine those people are yeah quite specific in their criteria. When you're making a smaller acquisition, probably at your at this size, um, I think that gives you a little bit uh, a little bit more flexibility, or at least should. Well, I don't know if I think the bigger the business, probably the less risky it is, um, especially if it has a good track record. I think I've I've looked at, especially with these software businesses, because with software, it's often they either kind of stay small or they grow really big and they have mm-hmm. investments. So finding that in-between spot where it wasn't generating enough uh, profit uh, was kind of difficult. But I think especially there, if it's small, like let's say if it is maybe under 300,000 in revenue or, or maybe under four or 500 even, you kind of don't know what's going to happen. Often these businesses yeah. haven't been around for that long. So I, yeah. I think for me, that's probably the risky uh, thing where I ne- don't necessarily wouldn't feel super comfortable having like 60% uh, or 40% uh, debt on the business because you just don't know what's going to happen two months from now. Yeah, no, that's true. The bigger the business, the more likely it is to have real have, have real staying power. I mean, first of all, it's got the financial assets to fall back on, um, but also it size of business usually indicates age as well. Um, maybe not in some crazy software examples where a business becomes huge overnight, but in traditional businesses, like the bigger it is, likely the longer it's been around. Of course, but I guess also if you start out with buying companies. It's kind of unreasonable to expect that you would buy a 5 million uh, or 10 million revenue business. I mean, unless you come from like a super wealthy family, there's probably no way that that's going to happen. So you 
then kind of need to find that middle ground of what is possible like how far can you stretch your budget uh, and how can you actually structure the deal like in my case i was able to uh negotiate a 40 percent uh seller financing uh deal mainly because of covid because i was i wasn't going to pay for the events up front because they were not happening so i was sure. like i'm only yeah. paying for it afterwards when they're actually happening so that's the only way i would have been able to buy this business is because of covid basically and that's just i guess luck and timing that everything coincided but you just need to be yeah patient and lucky lucky i guess so she probably would not have been open to the seller financing piece outside of a COVID context. I don't know, but probably not. I mean, if you yeah. can get the money up front, why would you wait? Yeah, yeah. And what was the name of the site that you found this on? The the Dutch, uh, I, I assume it's a kind of a Dutch version of Biz yep. Buy Sell. Yeah. Yep, exactly. It's called brooks.nl. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I also got lucky there because for all the time that I was looking at that website, I didn't really come across anything that looked really good. So <laughs> I was lucky there as well to just be able to find it uh, on that website. And we should be clear with the audience, This, even though you found it on a Dutch website, she's Dutch, you're Dutch, this is actually a, a, an English language property. Yep. Uh, I'm Belgian, not Dutch, but that's, <laughs> that's okay. Oh, sorry. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, the, exactly. Yeah, the the business is completely in English, like it's it's international. So we have clients literally across the world. So yeah, it kind of doesn't matter where I am or where the owner of the business would be. It's just international. And uh, is that? Do you think that that's an opportunity for searchers if they're looking for kind of remote businesses to look on country like brooks brooks.nl for example i mean are, would an american maybe find some gems there or is it really just targeted for a dutch audience it's European pretty tight like because everything is in dutch so no. you would have to like use google translate or something to then find i think this is probably i, I mean there were some uh software companies as well so those usually don't matter uh where you are either but yeah i, I think it would be a little bit tough for international people to come in and kind of use google translate to make the deal happen yeah yeah sure okay okay well philippe i want to i want to be aware of your time and, and leave it there but thank you very much for doing this and being transparent about the, the process your thinking how it's going um this is this is a really appealing deal to me. I would love to acquire a media business, and it's not one that you hear talked about as much as, as some of the other businesses in the acquisition space, like e-commerce or yeah. a sweaty offline business. So it's it's really cool. Um, so thanks again. You're welcome. It was my pleasure to uh, to share this with you, and maybe let's uh, catch up again in uh, six months or twelve months to see how it uh, has gone. Absolutely, we will. Thanks, Philippe.